You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. Today's text is one that doesn't seem all that significant. Maybe at first they sang a hymn. But if we realize the setting and the hymns, we'll find, I think, some very profound things in it. Uh, this text, Matthew 26 and verse 30, is at the very end of the uh, last Passover meal that Jesus is recorded as having had with his disciples. He had four Passovers with them in his uh, earthly ministry. Uh, that's how we know it was three and a half year ministry because there was a little bit of work and then a Passover and then three more after that. It ends up being about three and a half years of work. But there's only one where any time is spent telling us what happened at the meal. And famously, we know that as the Last Supper. Uh, This is where the Lord's Supper is instituted, where Jesus and John has those long discourses about the coming of the Comforter, his high priestly prayer of John 17. Uh, Evening began with him washing their feet, and it ends at the upper room with them singing a hymn. Uh, Just read it to get the context from Matthew 26, beginning in verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my uh, is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine, from now on until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then what just seems a very innocuous thing thrown in passing, but it's in two Gospels. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And then he withdraws from them in prayer. He spends hours in prayer while they sleep. And he chastises them for that until the moment that Judas comes. What we find is it says they sang a hymn in some translations. Or this one says after singing a hymn. It turns out that that's not quite exactly what the text says. It's not an unreasonable translation. But there's something quite missing I think when we realize uh, that it wasn't just a hymn. It wasn't, they, they didn't pick a random song. Uh, they, they didn't just happen to sing something. Uh, they uh, uh, sang uh, hymns to God uh, as they left. The Passover ended with, uh, and it's all one word uh, in Greek, basically uh, the past tense of hymning. They hymned. And now singing a hymn and hymning are not quite the same thing. Uh, it's in Greek, and it's very, it's very so seldom I give you any kind of Greek, but I will in this case. This whole phrase, the, from which we get, and after singing a hymn, or, and they sang a hymn, it is just two Greek words, chi, which is simply the word and, and then the long compound word, uh, hymnosantes, uh, which is a past, it's one of the past tenses. The Greek has some very weird verb tenses, but it's one of the past tenses that means that you did a thing. It's one of it's part of the aorist tense. But you see, the first of that is the word hymn, 
they are the 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 text here uses the word him uh, not as a, a noun like we sang a hymn, but the text is using the word him uh, in in this form of a group of people did it in the past. It's using him as a verb. Now we can do that in English too, right? We can use the word him as a verb. Uh, we don't do it a lot, but we can. Uh, I remember this very odd construction when I was a child, going, what did they mean by that? Of course, I was to later find out this was better English and better poetry than I ever realized. Of course, don't we realize that about poetry a lot after we grow up and mature a little bit? But we have this, uh, this same usage in English. They hymned their king in strains divine. And I always used to wonder as a kid what those strange divines were. But it was. It turns out it was strange, not strange. Um, but it was. It's. It, we we have that uh, that line in on Zion's glorious summit stood, and numerous hosts redeemed by blood. They hymned. So there's the verb use of him. They hymned their king, in strange divine. We sing that, and sometimes it takes a little bit for us to unpack that and not, you know sort that out because we don't speak like that all the time. But that basically is exactly the construction of what it says here in the text in, in, in the Greek language. Uh, so, and they hymned. That's quite literally what it says. That doesn't read as very good English. And so normally we get this as they sang a hymn or, and, and singing a hymn. But this wasn't just, uh, you know, something they did on the way out. It wasn't just, a, uh, you know, a thing in passing. It turns out, that the end of the Passover meal had a set of hymns that people sang. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just the Passover, uh, but uh, all of the big feasts of the Jews, uh, the Passover, the, the Pentecost observance, and the tabernacle, the Feast of Tabernacles observance, when you finish the observance, you would sing hymns. And it, again, it wasn't a hymn, but it was a set of hymns. And of course, as the Jews being as traditional as they were about so many things, there was a, a set of hymns done for that. And it's called the halal hymns. The halal hymns. You go, halal hymns. Well, I'm not going to remember that. Well, maybe you might. The word halal is the beginning of the word hallelujah. Right? You know the word Hallelujah. Well, it turns out there's more to that word than I had suspected, too. Uh, come to find out when you study things, you find out there's, there's sometimes more behind it. The, the, the word halal there, again, means praise. And then that you is the ending. Uh, the, the, hallelujah is, is, is not, again, it's, it's not a noun. Hallelujah is a verb in, in Hebrew. Halle means praise. That you part at the, in the middle means it, it, that we're all doing it together. So we're all praising, and then it's a compound word, and the end of the word is yah. Does that ring a bell? Yah, sometimes spelled in English with a J, sometimes spelled in English with a Y. Isn't it the beginning of the word Yahweh? It is. And there's many times where this shortened form of the name of God, which we have in English is either Jehovah or Yahweh, come to us. And so the word hallelujah quite literally means let's all praise God together or we're all praising God together. That is the very literal meaning of the word hallelujah. All of us are praising God. And so hallelujah, like this word hymning, the uh, hymnos there that they're doing, it's a verb. 
And so when the Jews finished the, their great feast, the Passover included among them, they sang a certain set of praise psalms. And they had a set of them, and they are in our current numbering of uh, the Old Testament uh, book of Psalms. They are Psalm 113 through 118. And so they would sing these psalms at the end of important things. And so when it says they sung a hymn, we in English go, okay, they sang a song. Well, no, if you know the Jewish background and you understand that that is, it's not a hymn they sung, but they hymned, you know what it was they sang. They sang the halal, the praise psalms. And as it turns out, as they sang this at the end of all the great feast, these psalms are particularly appropriate when viewed through a messianic context of how these psalms about how the people praise God for his care for them and his direction of them, his deliverance of them, they are more true in Jesus than at any other time. And it actually becomes a very poignant thing that these are the words that our Savior, that he sang along with his disciples just in the hours before the agony that would prepare him for the crucifixion. And so it is, as one said, it was appropriate for Jesus to sing these on the threshold of his crucifixion. It's as if, if he takes these words as his own prayer in the gathering storm of his final hours on the earth. It is a proper uh, set of psalms of preparation for the agony and suffering of which he was about to undergo. So let's look briefly at these psalms. There's, most of them are pretty short. One's really short. But let's look briefly at these psalms and view them in this messianic context as Jesus himself, I think, would have and his disciples certainly would have realized later. And so we have Psalm 113. It's the first of the halal psalms. It begins and ends with the hallelujah from which this section takes its name. So we see uh, Psalm 113.1, praise the Lord. Well, how would we say that in Hebrew? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, Yah. So praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forever, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord, Jehovah, is to be praised. Again, every time it says Lord here, it's, it's Jehovah or Yahweh, however you want to do that best in, in English today. Uh, our translators give us that old conviction, uh, convention of not using the name of God directly, but giving us the capital letters of L-O-R-D. But uh, we'll read it as, as Jehovah. The name of Jehovah should be praised. Jehovah is high above the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like Jehovah our God? Who is enthroned on high? Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord, or hallelujah. And so beginning and ending and all through, we start the hallelujah. So hallelujah from beginning to end. He humbles himself to behold. Some of these things, we can't help but think about things that we know as Christians like Philippians 2, that he humbled himself 
to become a servant. He came down to check on us. He came to be with his people. He came to raise them up. And glory to him from now and forevermore. And so we start, and they would have started, with the hallelujah song. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then the psalm, Psalm 114, of deliverance and provision, thinking about what God did, summarizing briefly, uh, the, the exodus and God's provision to the promised land through the wilderness. Now, uh, and I'm not sure if this is true or not. I'll let you know what's content, contended. Uh, many Jews believe that Psalm 113 is the psalm the people sang at the first Passover while still in Egypt. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true or not. Not sure when this unnamed uh, and un- untitled psalm uh, was written, but uh, many of the Jews uh, believed and still believe that this psalm was goes back all the way to the first Passover. But in any case, this next psalm tells the story of that deliverance and of God's continued uh, provision. So Psalm 114, when Israel came forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange land, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled. There's the Red Sea crossing. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains, that you skip like rams? O hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water and flint into a fountain of water. And so there's the the rock in the wilderness. Of course, Paul would tell us that rock is Christ. It's interesting sometimes how psalms show up in weird places. This psalm of all, of all psalms, in the 6th century, and then for about another 400 years after that, so early, early part of the uh, Middle Ages, uh, this psalm was a common one uh, that Christians used at funerals. <laughs> maybe, maybe there was something they saw that I don't. I, I hope maybe I'll find, figure out that connection later, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was, this psalm was used for four or 500 years as one of the most common Christian funeral texts. And it was also used uh, then also for like ministry of the dying. So, you know, if you went to, you know, medieval hospice, <laughs> the, 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 the priest would come and this would be one of the psalms they would read. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not quite sure why. It may not have been my choice, but historically we know it was. But a, a provision, uh, this celebration of God's provision uh, for his people. And also we can see why with these psalms, one after the other, uh, people might want to connect the psalm before to the first Passover uh, since the second psalm here of this set talks so much about its effects. And then we have what was, and again, psalms show up in weird places and weird ones, and you never quite know why. But uh, Psalm 115, and the, and, and, the, and the phrase there, this becomes in Latin one of the, the main psalms that people always remember. And for some reason, there was, a, there was like a 300-year period where this psalm in Latin was one of the most common songs sung uh, by English school choirs. Like in the late 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. Uh, but, but the Latin version, not the English, but the Latin, even that late. Uh, psalm 115, 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Non nobis domine, sed nomini taudet glorium. Non nomis domine. Very famous Latin uh, hymn uh, from this psalm but it starts with humility uh, the humility not for us it's not about us 
This is about you, God. This is about your glory, your loving kindness, your truth. And then this psalm of all things starts with a lesson on idolatry. Don't be an idolater. And so this moral teaching in the hymn, in the psalm that these people sang, why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God's in heaven and does what he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths but can't speak. They have eyes but can't see. They have ears but can't hear. They have noses but can't smell. They have hands but can't feel. They have feet but can't walk. They make a sound with their, they can't make a sound with their throat. And again, I, it just strikes me at times, times the, the nature of the Psalms. Again, and Psalms is just an old English word for what? Song, right? Song and Psalm are directly equivalent words. Uh, one is just a very old form and one's a modern form. But can you imagine that if we had that kind of teaching in our songbook? We have bits and pieces, but uh, that, that basically is a recap of the great sermon of Isaiah 40 about the vanity of, of idolatry. But look at the blessings for those who fear the Lord. Those who make them will be like them. You want to you be dumb and, and you want to be limited and, and you want to be stupid, just be an idolater. You're going to become like that dumb idol you worship. But Israel trusts the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their hope and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. We could sing that, couldn't we? He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those that fear the Lord. The small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, the maker of the earth. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord. The earth he has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord. So there's no hallelujah from the dead. Nor do those who go down to silence. But for us, us living folks, let us bless the Lord. Let us say hallelujah. For from this time and forevermore, praise the Lord or hallelujah. And so a lesson on humility and a lesson on fearing the Lord turns into this great outpouring of praise for the Lord. And while we're here and while we're alive, what are we going to do? We're going to praise the Lord. And I think we see in there something uh, of the hope of the resurrection and the need of the resurrection so that death doesn't silence our praise for the Lord, but we can move on to the next stage of that. But I, I do think we see hints of the resurrection here. Now, those, again, we can read them as messianic and we can see Jesus. Well, if you try just a little bit, I think you can see Jesus in every psalm especially if you view him as the king is being praised. Uh, but, uh, and those who sing from the Psalter, that's, that's how they do it. Uh, but then in, in 116, in Psalm 116, we come directly into Messianic territory. We come to a psalm that could be called the Psalm of Gethsemane, a song that deals with great struggles, but overcoming those struggles with trust in God. And there's certainly a sense where David, as the author and other righteous men through troubles, uh, fulfill this psalm. But the highest and best and most fulfilling way that this psalm is ever carried out is in the life and the work of Christ. So, Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplication. Think about the great commandment. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Whoever did that better than Jesus? We'd all like to say this. And we, all, we all have a desire to start like this psalm does. We know wherein we fail. But here Jesus does more than, than all at this. But verse 2 going on. Because he's inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord, called upon the name of Jehovah. O Jehovah, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is Jehovah and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord, Jehovah, preserves his people. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears my feet from stumbling. I will walk before Jehovah the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. Paul quotes that in Romans 3. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. O Lord, surely I'm your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your handmaiden. You have loosed my bonds. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. O may it be in the presence of his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Again, we we can see such a response of faith, a calling to the Lord in time of trouble in the life of any righteous person. And certainly we can state without contradiction that precious is the uh, death of his saints in his sight. Any time a saint dies, and often I use this passage uh, in funerals when the righteous have departed. But if we note here, we have a conquering of this affliction, a conquering of this death, a public call to God and a public paying of his vows, a public carrying through, no matter the cost, I will pay my vow in the presence of the people. Death is a pre- of, of the righteous is precious in his sight, but I'm your servant. If you think about this in a messianic context, if you think about this, this psalm in particular, if you think about this as, as Jesus' own personal prayer, this is Gethsemane, isn't it? I'm going through these sufferings, but I will do your will. I will pay the vow. I will do the thing that, you, that, that we've agreed to. Uh, I will. Because you know, Jesus, when he came to do the will of the Father, do you think he found out about three weeks before Gethsemane what the will was? Or did he know when he came? And he agreed to that plan. And he agreed to go through with that. When it came down to the hard moment, what did he still do? He still agreed to do it. It was, it was hard. It was, it was a great anguish. He, he sweated as he thought about it and prepared for it with uh, sweat as great drops of blood. It was agonizing. But he paid his vow. He did it. And he offered a sacrifice of thanksgiving. He called upon the name of the Lord. This is verse 17 and verse 18. He paid his vow in the presence of all the people in the midst of Jerusalem. And what do we call out and what did he call out Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Then we take a little break. 
We have a little tiny short psalm. I remember my very first introduction to this psalm. A, a preacher was telling the story about how his, his godly mama made sure and t- told, that he did his Bible reading every night. And he, he had to read he had to read chapters, a couple of chapters of scripture every night before bed. And he said he discovered this psalm and it became his favorite psalm to read. Because he could get his reading done so quickly. But we think two verses, two verses. And then, of course, it's, it's only just a little bit. It's Psalm 119, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the primer on God's uh, law. Uh, by the way, you know, you think about uh, my friend. He, he reads this psalm because he gets in his reading and he can tell his mama uh, without lying to her. Yes, mama, I read my chapter of scripture tonight. But then you think about Psalm 119, the great long one, which the Jewish school children in the synagogue would memorize. When you don't fill your head with Marvel comics or <laughs> you don't fill your head with any kind of TV reruns, when you don't fill your head with video games, there's a lot of storage space in there. And you can put Psalm 119 in there. It just takes a little work. But, it, well, it, it was easier for them in some ways because it was an acrostic. And to, to us, that is lost. But eight lines each, but 176 verses of Psalm 119. But we have this little one first. We think, well, if he, what could be done in two verses? Why do we have this little tiny psalm of two verses? What could you do with that? Well, you know what it turns out? You can do a lot. Because these, are, these two verses say what? Everybody say, hallelujah. So hallelujah, or praise the Lord, praise Jehovah, all nations. Laud him all my people, the nations, and all God's people. Let the Jews and Gentiles together say what? Everybody say praise the Lord. For his loving kindness is great toward us. The truth of the Lord is everlasting. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So like the first one, like like 113, beginning and ending with hallelujah. But in this case, Jew and Gentile together. And isn't that the great hope of the New Testament? That, That this is an inclusive promise. That's what is done in Christ is done for all. It's not for one tribe. It's done for every nation and tongue and tribe. And so everybody all together now, hallelujah. So that's 117. You can get a lot done in two verses. If you want to see this in practical effect and doctrinally spelled out, uh, look at uh, Romans 14 and 15, where a lot of verses are quoted from the Old Testament, talking about the, the brethren living in harmony, and it's all people, Jew and Gentile. So we have four or five different quotes in Romans 15, to summarize the fact that we're all together now saying hallelujah. All right, then, lastly, Psalm 118. Psalm 118, give thanks because it turns out well. But again, in Psalm 118, it doesn't all go well. There's a really hard and rough spot. And if you're familiar with Psalm 22, uh, the psalm we often call the crucifixion psalm, you'll see a lot of familiar language. You'll see a lot of familiar things. And so I think we have here in this last psalm, I really think we have a psalm of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And we have some direct quotes from this psalm in the New Testament. Actually, as it turns out, you think about the great size of the Old Testament. And we would ask, what do you think is the most important part of the Old Testament? You know, ask in Bible class, which part of the Old Testament you think you ought to know first? 
Where are we going to, if we have somebody who's new converts, have somebody who, you know, maybe they grew up in the church but didn't pay much attention, I, that happens, right? If you get somebody who wants to get on board and we want to get them up to speed and we say, well, we need to have some Old Testament studies, where are you going to start? Where's the most important part? I can make a real good case for it. Let's just start in Genesis. Let's know Creator God. I can, you know, if you know the first 11 chapters of Genesis, or, you know, maybe let's get chapter 12 because we get the promise of Abraham and that. But of the Old Testament, 40% of all the quotes in the New Testament from the Old Testament are from the book of Psalms. 40% of the Old Testament quotes in the New Testament are from the book of Psalms. Why? Well, one reason I think, aside from the clarity and appropriateness of the quotes, and of course it's not just there that you can get clear and appropriate quotes, but aside from just the clarity and appropriateness of the quotes, what did the Jewish people know? Well, they were people of the book. They knew the law, right? But what part did maybe they know the best? How about the part they sang? How about the part they sang? You just mentioned a little bit of a line, a little bit of a lyric from a song from your childhood. And what, what, what happens? That whole song just comes flooding back, right? A whole set of memories go. A whole set of things come because it's not just you memorized those words, right? But you memorize those lyrics. They're the same words, but you memorize them in musical form. And so I think about some of the things, you know, like back in grade school, we, we had to do memory work back then. Do they still do that? I think they probably do, maybe somewhere. But there were some things we had to memorize. The Gettysburg Address. Oh, that was terrible. But... Uh, we had to memorize the preamble of the Constitution. We had to memorize some other things. But I think about some of the earliest things we had to memorize. I had to memorize my ABCs. How did I learn my ABCs and how did you learn your ABCs? How did the kids still learn their ABCs? We sing them. I don't know if I can give you my ABCs without singing it. There's something about... So when these quotes come from the Psalms... The songs, right? Sometimes I really wish we had one word, not two, because we think about the songs as some ancient and 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 outside and and strange text. But think about the songs, right? And so, if so why do preachers quote so many things that come out of the songbook? Because the truth is there, distilled, and, and also. We can remember it. And so I think about all the things in school I was supposed to have memorized, and hardly any of them can I remember now. But how many of the songs I learned as a kid are still with me? So these, pro these quotes are coming from their songbook, right? And so let's see what this song, the final one, says. So Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord. Haven't we heard that? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say his loving kindness is everlasting. Does this remind you of the end of the book of Revelation? Let the spirit and the bride say come. Let the one who wants to take the water of life without cost say come. Where did they learn this kind of call and response? Right here in the songbook. For in my distress, I called unto the Lord and Jehovah the Lord answered me and set me in a, a large place. The Lord is with me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? 
You people who read Hebrews know that quote, right? Hebrews 13, 6. The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me. Well, it sounds like Psalm 22. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surround me. They surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I'll cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. You pushed me violently so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. We can sing that. And he's become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I will not die, but live. Tell and tell of the works of the Lord. And the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he's not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you. For you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. Now, here's how we know all so much of this has been messianic, because this is one of the now this next verse is one of the most quoted in the New Testament from the old. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus gave this quote about what would happen. Matthew twenty one, Mark twelve, Luke twenty. Peter gave this quote saying what did happen, Acts 4 and 1 Peter 2. And so did Paul, Ephesians 2 and verse 20. And so we don't have to imagine how this applies to the Messiah. We're told it applies to the Messiah. Oh, this is the Lord's doing, verse 23. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Which days in particular? Well, today and every day, but in particular, the day of the Messiah. Oh Lord, we do, oh Lord, do save, we beseech you. Oh Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, I know that from the New Testament too, don't I? I know that from the triumphal entry. I know that from when Jesus says he's coming in judgment. I know this from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festive sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, I give you thanks. You are my God, I extol thee. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting. And so that is what it means when it says they sang a hymn, right? When they hymned, this is what the Jews at the end of the Passover, and this is what the Jews at the end of the other major holidays, this is what they hymned. This is what they sang. And so Jesus leaves that upper room, he and his apostles, leaving his final Passover going out the door to walk that 20 or 30 minute walk from the residential districts of Jerusalem out past the temple 
down through the Valley of Kidron, up onto the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. As they walked through town, how many other families did they hear singing these songs as they went house by house after house? Because this is what every house did. Every house sang these songs this night as the Passover was coming to an end. And ironically, the Jewish leaders, the ones who were going to reject the cornerstone overnight and in the morning, they sang these hymns too, even as they're getting ready to fulfill them. But in a negative sense, they throw away and reject that precious stone. But Jesus, knowing that this would happen, went out to the garden, prepared himself with prayer, and got ready for the day of crucifixion that was going to come. And as we close the reading and as they close the hymns, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his loving kindness is everlasting. Jesus went and showed the everlasting loving kindness of the Lord and fulfilled all of the direct prophecies and all of the imagery of these psalms as had never been done before. And so, yeah, they sang a hymn. I guess they did. With that, we close. Asking you if, if you need to come to the Lord, the, the one who sang these hymns knowing that they were about him, knowing what it meant for him to fulfill them, and at what awful cost he did bring them to fulfillment and fruition for our sake and enduring these things, even the death on the cross. If you need that new song to sing, the song that he puts in our hearts through faith, we ask you to come confess him, be baptized and added to him, or if you need to confess your sin and return, and sing these songs new and afresh and with great appreciation and dedication. We ask you to come to the invitation as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.